Welcome to the Beyond the Easy podcast with your host, Natasha Stevens. When she isn't speaking herself, you'll hear from some of the globe's most unique and powerful people who have pushed past perceived limitations and are exceeding societal expectations. Our niche is simple, people. Our dynamic guests share their stories filled with content that synergistically bridges the divide between us and them. And we're inviting you in. We are a blended tribe. Thanks for tuning in and catching the subscribe vibe. Eddie Gonzalez is our closer for season three, and we all have been so excited for him to come on. He is an avid music lover and sneakerhead. He has built a life walking the walk from street smart to business savvy. First at one of the most prestigious law firms in Los Angeles, California, then to Student Whisperer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, working with interns and underserved, underrepresented populations. Now, as NASA Goddard Space Flight Center's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Lead for Heliophysics, he brings his unique blend of experience to one of NASA's most prestigious missions. Edward has been honored by many NASA awards and recognitions and has made it his personal mission to ensure that the agency's future workforce is more diverse and equitable than when he started his career there two decades ago. Having lost his father as a young teen, experienced police profiling and gang violence, Eddie can relate to the struggles that many students face as they embark on their college and career journeys. He is eager to share that all paths to NASA aren't linear and emphasizes the critical importance of creating a workforce pipeline that starts in school, leading to an exciting current project called Permission to Dream, collaborating with the Christopher Gardner Foundation from the movie The Pursuit of Happiness to present inspirational talks at 1,000 high schools across the United States of America. Edward is the consummate comeback kid. He says all setbacks set you up for a comeback. You will be blown away by his story. So without further ado, let's welcome Eddie, Eddie G, as we call him, Edward Gonzalez into the Beyond the Easy podcast room. As you guys heard in the introduction, um, I am here with someone that I have admired for quite some time (laughs) from afar, and I cannot wait to meet him. Eddie, how are you doing? Thank you for coming on Beyond the Easy. Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, It's been been quite the day, uh, but it's Wednesday, it's up day, it's all downhill from here. All right, I know, I know, I, I totally get it, I feel you on that. Um, you know, I I want the the listeners to understand Eddie is our closer, okay? And so if you know anything about real estate um or or any kind of deals like that, you always need um to close and you need to finish strong. And I believe here that's what we've done at Beyond the Easy um as we set out a year ago with the intention of creating a podcast that would be all inclusive, that would be non-judgmental, 
that would be educational, that would be inclusive, and that would even be entertaining. And this podcast has been curated on purpose because a lot of the people, most of the people have gone through some really excruciating times to get to where they are today. And Eddie is no exception. And he exemplifies the full purpose, mission, and definition of what Beyond the Easy, the diversity podcast stands for. And I I couldn't be more honored um, that he would say yes to to us um, at Beyond the Easy and definitely yes to all of you who are listening. So Eddie, thank you so, so much for taking time out of, I know you have a busy day, <laughs> taking time out of your busy day um, to help us at Beyond the Easy and our listeners in 25 countries finish strong. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for that introduction. My goodness. Um, I'm just so excited to be here. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of the program. Um, and I'm just ready to hopefully inspire one person, if not more, uh, with this podcast. Well, I know that you will. And and for the listeners who are curious about how did she meet Eddie? Um, listen, there is a thing called synergy and timing. And there's also a thing called the human connection. And I would be remiss if I did not thank, out of the gate, a very beautiful young woman that I know that I've done life with. Um, Her name is Eliza Cortez Bast. She tagged me on a post on Instagram, and I didn't know what it was. (laughs) And I went and I looked, and I saw Stamedia. And... I thought, what an amazing group of young people. And then I started scrolling. I signed up immediately and I started scrolling through and I saw NASA. And the people that know me know that I know who works at NASA and I know and I have a lot going on with my um, love for NASA. So I saw Eddie and I thought, oh, wow, this is huge. And when I watched him, on their uh, summit that they held this year, which if they have another one and Eddie is back, please tune into that. That was one of the most powerful summits that I've ever attended virtually. It was so well done. And But when I saw Eddie and Eddie dropped so many jewels and so much wisdom and so much knowledge, I couldn't take notes fast enough. And so that's how I met Eddie. So Stamedia people, if you're listening, I love you guys. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And thank you for having Eddie um, as, as a keynote. Thank you, Eliza Cortez Bass. Te quiero, hermana. Thank you so, so much. So Eddie, let's jump right in. Um, when did you first notice, because your background is, is, is deep, when did you first notice um, an interest in science as a kid? Um, my father. I uh, need to thank him for that. Um, five years old, I uh, was out on the porch playing, and he called me in the house, and he said, I want you to watch this. And it was the uh, Apollo 13 mission, and this is what he shared with me. Now, obviously, I wasn't interested. I wanted to go back outside and play, but he said, there's astronauts that are not only going to not make it to the moon, 
they may not make it back to earth but there's a gentleman that i want you to see is the flight director his name is gene kranz of course i wasn't kind of half paying attention at the time um who stated failure is not an option not on my watch that as a team and this is what nasa does we solve problems we make things happen um we're going to not only bring them back safely but we're going to bring them back in plenty of time and i was glued to the tv set you couldn't kick me away from that tv set watching this thing take place and it took a long time obviously many many hours and watching the astronauts enter into our um into the ocean the indian ocean safely it was such a monumental moment for myself as a five-year-old and i thought man i want to i want to work for nasa and i didn't want to be an astronaut and i don't know if that scared me or not i wanted to be gene kranz i wanted to be somebody that could come in and solve problems and help people and, and that was my first experience to science and to nasa wow that's deep and you know um i i didn't like science <laughs> I, I liked certain parts of science and then i ended up in science um that's really deep that you at five could that could hold your attention like that um and and that's when you tapped into your purpose really really early um and and kudos to your father um, for what he did and and calling you back inside of the house to watch that um, and then solving problems at NASA um, I know that you were in law before you transitioned over to, to NASA can you tell us what um, caused that pivot over from from law to NASA oh man that's a great question and I love answering that because I do get that question often So for me, um, I made a lot of mistakes after my father passed in my teenage years. It was eight days before my 13th birthday on Christmas Day. Mm. My father passed away. So he didn't get to teach me to be a man, if you will. There was a lot of mistakes that I made right after that that I wouldn't have made if he had still been around. Um, Failed miserably in school after being part of the MGM program. I was mentally gifted minors. I was doing extremely well in school. And then after that, I just tanked. You know, my mother was uh, devastated by his by his death, and rightfully so. So I didn't see her hardly at all. She would go to work very early in the morning before I woke up, and she'd go straight to her room. I mean, it was years before I actually had a conversation with her. In fact, it took me getting arrested uh, to actually bring her back to me. Uh, she had to come and get me, and it took a little while for her to... Uh, for the police to get a hold of her to say, we've got your son, if you will. That's a whole other story. But a a series of mistakes happened along the way. So in high school, I I didn't do very well. And then right after I graduated, after having a career counselor tell me school is not for you, you need to work at a car wash. That was, Mm. and again, but, but I look at that and I think maybe that's all I showed him, right? Maybe that's what I showed him. But regardless, though, those aren't things that you tell young students, especially somebody that was going through the things that I went through. Exactly. Getting my girlfriend pregnant right out of high school, I couldn't do what I wanted to do, which was I wanted to have a gap year, if you will. I wanted to hang out at the beach and I wanted to do nothing. So immediately I had to find a job that had benefits that was going to take care of all the things that I needed uh, to be taken care of at that time. So one of the first persons that I networked with was a neighbor. 
And he said, because of my character, he said, you know what, I think you just need a chance. And there is a entry level position open at a law firm in Los Angeles working in the mailroom. And I think that you could do that and work your way up the ladder. So once I got there, everybody that was working in the position was five, six, seven, ten years older than me. And they didn't care. They got there late. They took a two hour lunch. They wouldn't call. They'd call in sick. But I took it seriously because that's what my father taught me. You know, your character is something that you need to, you know, your family name, what people are going to remember about you. They may not remember your name, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. So I took the job seriously and I climbed the corporate ladder pretty quick. I went from coordinator to supervisor to manager to eventually becoming part of senior staff. Now, NASA never never uh, fell far from my tree, but I didn't have the academic background to get into NASA. And not only that, it was a niche position, right, of what I wanted to do at NASA. I wanted to help people. So that was more education and outreach. And you really had to have the experience to do that. So I applied a few times and the answer was no, no, no. And after 12 years of no, in 2001, I finally got an interview because I had built my resume up that way. And again, they didn't have online learning back then. I didn't have an opportunity to go to school. I had to work and I worked 12, 13, 14 hours a day, sometimes more, right? So eventually in 2001, after being at this law firm for quite some time, I was able to get an interview when I knocked it out of the park and I got the position at NASA uh, as a business administrator initially. Whoa, <laughs> I did not expect that. That is amazing and what a testament. And I hope everybody heard that um, because as you heard in his introduction, he is the ultimate comeback kid. Jeez, uh, first of all, I apologize that I didn't offer condolences earlier for your father and your mother Thank you. um, for that loss that's heavy. Um, my father's birthday is tomorrow and I lost him and he was an attorney. So I, I know how that feels. Um, my condolences I, back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, sheesh, man, that's, that's loaded. And, and, and I, I really am glad that your neighbor picked up where that teacher left off um, and that you didn't quit for 12 years. I, I can't even imagine that that spirit of, of, of I'm not taking no for an answer goes back to what you stated in the beginning. We're going to make sure they get home safe. That's right. And for me too, it's important. What I tell students when I mentor them is that, you're going to knock on a lot of doors and a lot of doors aren't going to be answered. Well, you know what? Those aren't your doors. Knock on your doors until you find the yes. And that's your door. And it may take you a long time to do it, but you got to do it. You got to keep knocking. And if you don't, and if you give up, then you're never going to realize your dream or your why. That is so true. And Eddie, you have one of those started from the bottom. Now we're here stories. Um, but everything in your life has like this common theme um, and definitely serving the underserved kids that are left out of mainstream society. Um, I see where you get your passion from, but I would like to know, is there a personal connection or resonance that you have with the kids that are in your life right now as mentees 
and how your work and life story has impacted the Latinx students specifically that you um, mentor, speak in front of, and, and, and really all kids that fall in the underserved, but specifically speaking to the Latinx um, community? Uh, that's a great question. <clears throat> also, too, just for our listeners, I'm half Native American as well. And I'm really proud of that culture as well. Um, and stop, stop, stop. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. I don't know what sounds you guys make at mass. <laughs> wait. So wait, Eddie, give us your heritage. Oh, I'm a Apache, Mescalera Apache. So you're half Mescalera Apache. And what's the other half? Mexican. Latinx. Eddie, Eddie, you, Eddie, you are the man. That's all I want to say. <laughs> I want to meet Eddie. I don't want to meet anybody else at NASA. I love you guys. I want to meet Eddie. Wow. Oh, man, this is deep. Okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and even that from the Native American culture. See, with my father, he felt that being Native American was a negative and that his children would be treated differently if they knew. So it wasn't something that he brought upon us to say, you know, we're going to go to a powwow, you know, at this reservation, we're going to go visit family in uh, Arizona, New Mexico area. We never did any of that because he wanted to keep that in the rearview mirror. And again, I don't know what he went through. All I know is that he never mentioned his father. Well, as it turns out, his father was born on a reservation. And I just found out recently within the past two weeks that my grandfather's name was Antonio, and he was born yeah. on an uh, Apache reservation. I didn't know that. He never mentioned it, but I'm going through um, one of the apps uh, for um, uh, Ancestry, and I'm learning so much about my background and my heritage. It's been an amazing journey. Well, I hope that you will tap. I'm I'm sitting here with my mouth open. I, I'm like, wow, I that's such a cool combination. But I really hope because you know, for me on the Puerto Rican side, you, you get thrown in the Puerto Rican parade. I mean, in the the Macy's Christmas Day parade as a Native American, and you're not Native American, right? <laughs> So it's kind of like, wow, Eddie, I really hope that you will just go back and continue and then go to a reservation or that reservation and tap into that side of you. I knew there was something special about Thank you. you and, and there's now I now I get it now. Now I really, really get Thank it. You. So, man, I'm blown away. I couldn't have picked a better closer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. But to your point in regards to reaching out to my Latinx brothers and sisters, I, I will say this, you know, I mentor dozens of students at a time and I do request a certain rubrics, if you will, in order for me to mentor students uh, properly. But right now, when I look at the various students that I'm mentoring, there, there isn't a, a balance or an unbalance of Latinx versus African-American or, or even Asian or females, if you will. It's a, it's a really good diverse. And again, I don't do it on purpose where it's like, okay, I've got four Latinx, I've got four African-American. It, it's not like that. It just kind of works out that way. And I mentor all of those that need mentoring. Uh, anything that I can do, as long as I've got the bandwidth to do it. And I'm very honest about that. There's some times where I'm going to need to reschedule because of work, because 
the mentoring part I do from the, from my heart and I don't necessarily quote unquote get paid for that. I do it because I believe in it. So sometimes I have to ask my mentees, just be understanding and be patient and I will get with you and I will help you the best I can. You know, I know that they love you and, and, and I know that, that you don't handpick them like that, you know, for here, for there, for the, <laughs> for everywhere. Um, I think they're drawn to you, you. Um, because you're a true, you're a true mentor not getting paid for it. I mean, it's like being a teacher, even though it's low pay or depending on where you work. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you, you give from your heart. And, and I think that the kids that are meant to be in your life, under your mentorship program, under your tutelage and in your care are the ones that will always be gravitated towards you. Thank you. Um, and, and grateful. No, no, you're welcome. And, um, with keynote speaking, um, you have a, a neat story. Can you tell um, our listeners how you connect um, differently than others whenever you are keynote speaking in front of kids? Yeah, I think one of the things is, first of all, I have like a four point plan for all students and professionals and anybody for that matter. And that is, number one, you need to have a good network. And if you do have a network, you need to make sure that you water that network. What I try and do every day is take 20 minutes out of my day and reach out to people I haven't reached out to in quite some time. So it might be a text message. It might be a phone call if it's somebody that's old school and that's how they like to talk with people. Uh, it could be on social media, a direct message, or it could be an email from my NASA address, or it could be an email from my Gmail. And what I do is I take the time to learn my network. What's the best efficient way to reach them, to let them know. Sometimes it's just a text message and I'm not necessarily needing a response. I just want them to know that I'm thinking about them. The second thing is your character. What are your neighbors gonna say about you? And that's important, your last name, how you carry yourself. Third thing is your skill set. Are you up to date with what it is that you're trying to accomplish? Because right now you're not just competing against the people in your school, which was once upon a time, but because of the pandemic, you're competing globally now. And you need to take that seriously because you need to be the person at the front, right? And then finally, your grind and your hustle. And I always gauge this. How many people wake up with an alarm clock? Everybody raises their hand. Okay, if your alarm is set for 6 a.m. and at 5.15 you happen to wake up to look to see how much time you have to sleep, what do you do? The people that are grinding and hustling, they get up right there at that moment. They make their bed, they take a shower, they get ready, they have their breakfast, they read, listen to a podcast or anything of that nature before they continue on. Now, that's equally important. That is true. And you just gave um, a million dollars worth of value in that one statement. Um, and when we were talking before, you mentioned about your your suit and tie uh, theory. Yeah. Can you share? Can you share that because I love yes. that. So you know when people think about you know scientists, engineers, or anybody that works for NASA, they think of a quote unquote old white dude with a lab coat, right? And they can't connect with that person. So I've been to many of you know minority serving organizations like SHIP. ASIS, SACNIS, SWE, so on and so forth, where I'll take the stage 
and I won't make eye contact with anybody so they don't know who I am. And then once I get on stage and it's go time, I'll then say, hello, my name is Edward Gonzalez. And the first thing I'll do is I'll take my sports coat off. Then I'll take off my tie and then I'll take off my um, button shirt. And then they might realize, oh my goodness, he's not wearing dress shoes. He's wearing J's, right? Uh, Air Jordans that's matching with the right, shirt that right. I have underneath, right? I'll take my necklace out and then they'll say, oh my goodness, he's got tattoos. Wait a minute. He's just put an earring in his ear. I am just like you. I believe in not only in my culture, but the style as well. Although I may work for NASA, I haven't lost my identity. This is who I am. And it's something that I do. If you go to a NASA career fair, you're going to see people wearing NASA polo shirts and, you know, slacks or khakis or whatever and dress shoes. But I won't be that way. You'll see me wearing torn jeans. I'll have a sports coat on, but I might have a really cool NASA shirt underneath that I picked up from somewhere. So 10, nine out of 10 times, the students will gravitate in my line because they recognize I know that guy. I've seen this guy or I want to know this guy. So to me, that's important. It's not only who I am, but it's my persona as well. Yeah. And kids, I thank you, man, because kids, um, they have Ted Fujimoto once said that when it comes to learning and, and, and speaking to kids and being, um, on their level, um, that they have, um, built in radars for BS and that you can do all of that fancy stuff, but they know when you're real and when you aren't. And he said that a lot of times we make mistakes in thinking that it's about us when really it's their relevance that learning is tied to. And so you model that so wonderfully. I didn't even know you could walk around NASA like that. That is so cool to be working at a place that um, really accepts people for who they are, allows them with all of the intelligence and the skill set that they bring to the job every day, when you're having one of those days where kids come in, that they allow you to just be Eddie because they know at the end of the day, Eddie's going to get the job done for NASA and Eddie's going to get the job done for those kids who are interested in science. And now it takes me back to something that Vanessa White said, and I never really understood it because I didn't ask her and I, the, the quote was floating around social media. And she said, here at NASA, no one cares what you look like. Um, the question is, can you get the job done? And for you guys to be the solutionist that you are, especially you, Eddie, um, solving problems. I mean, I was looking at your bio thinking if there he's been around every single corner of mass. <laughs> I mean, you've done it Thank all. You. you you were selected. No, you're welcome. It's the truth, though. You were selected in 2008 as a detailee working on back-end development and training the staff at each NASA center, not just one, each NASA center on educational metrics and evaluation. That's 2008. You started there in 2001 coming out of law um, and and, and this detailee working on back-end development. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, so let me start by saying this. In 2002, I had been there about a year. 
we had a all hands meeting at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So we're in this huge um, auditorium and the director said, you know, let's give this person a hand. This person was selected as a detailee to work at NASA headquarters and everybody stood up and applauded this person. And I'm sitting in the back of the room clapping, but I'm thinking, Man, I want to do that. I want to be a detailee. You know, what is that? So I started to look into it a little bit. So all I did was raised my hand to let them know that I'm out there, that if they're looking for a detailee, they can stop looking. I'm your person, right? So it took me several years, obviously, again, of building my experience working for NASA. And this is to the point that I got. They recognized that I had a network at every NASA center. So more than anything, they to be the voice of this new um, software development program that we were going to teach at each NASA center. And they knew I could sell it, which I thought was that that says a lot about me and my character, where if Eddie goes to the center, people are going to buy into it. And that's exactly what happened. So some of the things that I had to do, I wasn't successful. Talk about imposter syndrome times 10. So I'm. My, my first meeting at NASA headquarters, I'm super excited and I'm there and they're talking about um, doing this thing called um, uh, sprints, a series of sprints every week. And then on Friday, our stakeholders were going to come in and they're going to hear about what we did during that week. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And what is it that I'm going to be doing? I have no idea, right? Not knowing that they weren't too concerned about what I could do but what I could do after it was completed. After the, the, the program was completed, then my role was going to take place. I was going to be at the front and center where we'd go to say Johnson or Langley or Armstrong or Ames or so on and so forth and say, this is how we're going to do it. And I'm going to show you how to do it. And we're in this together. And that's exactly what happened. So it was a wonderful experience. And not only that, I made it a point to develop a huge network at NASA headquarters that has benefited me to this day. Wow, Eddie, you, <laughs> you, you are, you, the raising of your hand is what got me. Like, you know, you, you, you seem to um, just listening to you and learning from you, even though your past had, you know, some really down points, you seem to be one of those people that at the end of the day, you've always made the right decision. Even in the times when you felt like it was a bad decision, it still worked for your good. And you picked the right choices, you picked the right career, and you made that network happen. And that speaks to um, your character for sure and the legacy that you're leaving in the earth that look when I'm gone Gonzalez is going to mean something to all of <laughs> yeah. you um, right and so I heard a speaker say your 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 first name is about you but your last name is yes. about us what is the legacy that you're leaving in the earth and and if you aren't leaving one then we're not having a conversation right now um and so I want to I want to say thank you for that but also it also speaks to the camaraderie that exists and the trust level 
that exist within NASA. The fact that they trust you, they trust your judgment, they trust your skill set, they trust your ability to create educational metrics and evaluation, to create safe networks, and they know that you care. I think at the end of the day, whatever your position is, wherever you are, back to what your dad said, they know that you care. And and that's important. Um, And before I get into something that I'm really coolly, like totally interested in knowing from you, knowing now that you didn't want to be an astronaut, um, this last launch, well, not last launch, but the launch that you and I both were glued into, um, sent Victor Glover up. What was that like for you? That was really cool because I don't know Victor uh, personally, but my brother who worked for the um, SWAT team in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles County SWAT team, um, he was on the same team with Victor's father. So he knew Victor when he was a little boy. So it was such a big deal from that perspective. But the other perspective, too, um, I know a couple of astronauts personally. So one of them is Leland Melvin. He's a really good friend. I worked for Leland. Uh, He was the head of education when it was called Office of Education. It's now called uh, Office of STEM Engagement. And I worked with him. But before I worked for him, we detailed at the same time. He was doing something a little different, but we became friends. So when he went up and then when he uh, became a quote-unquote civilian again, he then was the director for education for all of NASA. And we're still friends to this day. And then my other astronaut friend is Jose Hernandez. What a story. You need to Google him. And Netflix is actually coming up with a movie based on his story. Um, Next year, it'll come out. So for people that are listening, please Google Jose Hernandez. He's an amazing person and a really good friend of mine as well. Uh, But seeing Victor go up, as well as um, the next people that are going to the moon, especially all the females that are involved, I'm super excited about that. Yeah, and you, you know, that's my little jealousy point right there, because you get to see that differently than we do. And and it's like, so if we want to see it with Eddie's eyes, we got to go, you you have to follow Eddie. Um, Eddie posts some amazing things, um, the voices, what your voice sounds like on Mars. And yes, you can go find it, but Eddie does it right in, right then and there sometimes when he's not busy. And it just really opens your eyes up to, to what's out there, to what's possible. Um, and I think that this whole uh, fascination that so many people have with planetary science um, is starting to grow. Um, and I, I feel as though, you know, you read the news and you hear, you know, people are buying real estate mm-hmm. in space and, and things of that nature. But, um, Eddie, you've had a focus on planetary science and you have shared you. cool stuff online, but what would, what would you say, have, you're welcome. What would you say has been the most amazing thing about that? Because I'm not joking when I say this. I don't know what's going to happen in the next year, two years, three years, four years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. But I'm thinking about planting a garden in space because we're coming, we're, we're still in a pandemic. Um, we've had a year now of this thing and it's been difficult for a lot of people. 
a lot of other people have used that time to learn and to study and to grow, as you said. Um, but if we can't, if we had a food shortage on earth, have you guys figured out whether or not you can actually plant have, is there plant life? And if so, can we send some seeds up there and say, Hey, I would like a garden on this planet. I think all of that (laughs) is to be determined. I know that with perseverance, uh, landing on Mars, the scientific tools that they have on, on that Rover is something that's never been done before. Even the high resolution pictures that are coming back and even the helicopter that they have on the bottom of this Rover that's getting ready to take flight in the next couple of weeks, that has never been done before. So let me say this, and I think this is correct. And for our listeners out there, this may not be correct, but I think it's close that for every pound of payload, payload is poundage, whether it's a jacket or a camera or anything that adds up to one pound, I believe is $10,000. I think that's right. So we want to make sure, like you said, if we were to send seeds, obviously the payload wouldn't be as great as sending a pound of potatoes, if you will, right? So it's going to be important that we figure out what can we plant up there? What are things that we can tap into that's already on the moon or already on Mars so we don't have to bring that with us, if you will. So that's going to be key. That's going to be so key as we go forward. And again, I'm really excited to see what we're going to be doing from 10 years from now. I always look at this. When you look at Back to the Future, when that came out in 1985, and then they fast forwarded to, I forget what it was, 2015, I think. We didn't get a lot of it right. And some of it we did, okay? But where we're at now with technology, we are way beyond that now. And I am so excited to see where we're going to be in 10 years. Man, I am too. And, you know, just to just to recap on a, a thing that Eddie has shared here, um, one, please Google Jose Hernandez. Um, Eddie, do you think that when that, that documentary hits Netflix, that you guys at NASA will have um, your own screening of it? Um, will you invite, do you think you'll be able to invite? And I know, you know, you said it's coming uh, out so. next year. I believe year. it's in production right now. Okay, so when it comes out, let's say it comes out in a time when things get back to a new normal where where everything isn't virtual anymore. Um, do you think that in one of your many programs and working with kids that you would be afforded the opportunity to select along with uh, other decision makers such as yourself at NASA certain kids to come in to watch that documentary and I know all of this is hypothetical um, but how cool would that be if some of your your mentees who are interested and even NASA has one of the the, the greatest internship programs that I've ever seen um, to be able to to come in and see that movie especially from Latin community. So. Uh, I would like to think that that's something that we'll do. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, again, working closely with Jose, uh, there's going to be some things that we're going to do, um, you know, quote unquote, outside of NASA, if you will, uh, to get people interested and to see, and also 
Jose will be part of the uh, the tour, if you will, where he'll be available to answer questions and things of that nature. And I know I plan on interviewing him, um, you know, later on in the year. Oh, man, Eddie, I, I'm so excited. Like you have me back like <laughs> I want to go to school again. Um, but you are co-manager of various programs under NASA's Minority Undergraduate Research Education Program, also known as um, MUREP, MUREP, I'll say it in 15 languages, (laughs) M-U-R-E-P. And, but with that program, um, and and I'm going to explain later why I'm asking you this question that deals with a personal story I have when I was in college. What is your greatest joy and yet your okay, biggest so challenge for the record i want to make sure that people understand this too is that i was co-managing programs under nasa's Europe when i was at nasa's jet propulsion laboratory so now in my current position i'm not managing programs anymore however i am now in a position to make some changes and i think that's great and i still do work under the Europe program for example if i'm working at Great Minds in STEM or the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Um, I'm working under the Mirror umbrella, if you will. But some of those programs that I did co-manage, like the NASA Community College Aerospace Scholars, if you're in community college and you are working in STEM and you're kind of thinking, do I want to do the aerospace thing? Do I want to do the NASA thing? Uh, and you're not sure, you can apply for this five-day program that is absolutely amazing. It's called NCAS, and you can Google that, N-C-A-S, NASA Community College Aerospace Scholars. And you can actually go to a NASA center for five days and participate in a team event uh, where they break up the team into um, four different teams. You're partnered with a NASA scientist or an engineer, and you're together trying to accomplish a series of events and then there's one winner at the end. So that's a great program that I'm very proud of. And then the other is a cohort that I helped manage with HBCUs. And that we had was uh, Howard University, uh, Tuskegee, and North Carolina A&T. And we brought some amazing students over to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory to do some actual research and some actual work. And that was amazing. Unfortunately, because I left JPL, I don't know where that program is at now, what they're doing. But I know that when I was there, I was very proud of the students that they brought over. Oh, man, I hope that that program is still going. Um, It is so important, the work that you did with historically Black colleges and universities um, to get kids of color, whether they're underrepresented or not, um, interested in not just STEM, but in, in what NASA um, is doing and there and there goes that tagline um, uh, one one well one small step for mankind we know that but I'm talking about the other tagline of um, your yes. giant leap starts here and um, there is definitely room as you can see from Eddie's story for upward mobility if you work your butt off and you have great character um, at NASA, but out of all of the NASA centers that you've been a part of, which Ooh. is your favorite? You know, I will say this, and I'm not just saying this to be politically correct. I think each center has something to offer everybody. You know, when I look at JPL, and obviously I was there the longest, um, 
they do some pretty sexy stuff, unmanned robotic missions and, you know, putting, you know, rovers on Mars. I mean, that's, that's really cool, right? But now I'm over at Goddard and they do a lot of things and I'm in heliophysics, which has to do with the sun. So you look at the Parker Solar Probe, for example, that's, you know, the closest anything has ever been this close to the sun and sending back some amazing science. And then we've got the James Webb Telescope that's going to be launching this year. So, I mean, some amazing things. And then when you look at the Johnson Space Center, what do they do? They train the astronauts. And then Kennedy, we launch from there. You know, each center has their own thing that they do and it is equally amazing. And every center that I've been to, I've always felt like I was a part of that center. They've always treated me as such. So if somebody's looking for me, what center should I go to? I think any center has something for everybody. And thank you for breaking down what each center does for our listeners, especially the parents that are listening that have kids that have expressed uh, a strong interest in STEM. Um, That helps them to not just Google it online and read it, but to have the voice behind it to give even more credibility to each center and break it down and say, this is what what it is. And if you guys are interested, this is probably the center for you now that you've done that. And you guys have an incredible internship program. If there are some students that are listening right now and there are parents of students that are listening right now um, who really are thinking about or just itching to become a part of that internship program, how, how do you tell students to prepare now to become potential next members of that internship program? As school starts to wind down here, what can some students do to prepare to even do the five-day program or a full internship. Well, let me say this because I think it's the most important thing. We could do a whole show on your question right now, but this is important. So what a lot of students will do is they'll go to nasa.gov, they'll type in internship, and they'll apply. And that's it. But what they don't know is they can go to NASA Pathways and fill out a profile, and they can apply there, Okay. Also, you can go to USA Jobs and type in NASA internships and apply there. Then you can start in California and type in NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, get to their website and type in internships. And there's about four different programs there. One of them, you've got to be like within 50 miles of the center. You're not going to qualify for that. But others, you might. So my suggestion is to go and see if you qualify. And if you do, apply. Then go to Ames. Then go to Armstrong. And then go the other way, go to Texas, go to NASA Johnson, go to Langley, go to Glenn, go to Stennis, go to Goddard, go to Wallops, go to all the different websites that these NASA centers have, right? And apply. I just gave you about 15 doors that you can go through that a lot of students are not aware of, but you've got to be patient with it because you've got to say, okay, on Saturday, I'm going to spend about five hours scouring the internet and applying to all these different internships so I could best putting myself out there to potentially grab one of these internships that are available. He did just knock, he kicked, he kicked the door down for you guys. And, and I hope that, that you and your kids or someone that you mentor possibly 
will um, walk through them because he, he broke that down in a way that I don't think anybody else could have. And in that same vein, Eddie, have you ever seen an intern um, oh, become an employee? So I'll, I'll pick on my mentee, Claudia Pineda, who is amazing. She's got an amazing oh, story. Okay. Um, she's one of my mentees. And when I met her, uh, she was just getting ready to finish high school. And I met her at an event at the California Science Center, and she's amazing. But she was having a lot of imposter syndrome and not sure if she could do that next thing. And she um, applied for Pasadena City College. And while she was there, I remember how shy she was. And I told her, you need to apply for this NCAS program, and I'll help you. I'll mentor you through this. And when she got accepted and when she came to JPL, I pulled her to the side and I said, now, I want you to take leadership of one of these teams. I don't want you to say, I'll be the budget person or I'm going to be this or that or the other. I want you to take charge of one of these teams. And she did and her team won. From there, okay, she then got an internship to JPL and she's now working at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and she's now transferred over to Cal Poly Pomona and she's getting ready to graduate there and she's got a job waiting for her at JPL. Whoa. Eddie, congratulations to you, young lady. Um, and, and thank you, Eddie, for sharing that success story. So you see, you guys, you can do it. Um, there, there are no limits um, um, when your heart is in it. And I'm not trying to sound like a rapper here, but it really, it really is true. Um, and, you know, Eddie, you're, you're, and I, I don't want to jump ahead because I'm so excited about this tour that you're doing. Um, but, you know, what is the NASA Space oh, okay. Science Consortium? So that was Consortium? actually, and I'm glad you brought that up because the name changed recently. We're now considered, and it's part of my job, but not 100% of my job, um, is it's called NASA HEAT now. And HEAT stands for Heliophysics Education Activation Team. And what we do is we talk about um, science under heliophysics. So uh, the name that you just mentioned is no longer in existence. So if you Google that, I'm sure it'll still be there. But NASA HEAT is the new name of that. And that's what it stands for. I love yes. it because the sun produces yes. heat. I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, off the top of your head, Eddie, I'm going to try you right now. Are we having any solar uh, eclipses solar this eclipses year? All the time. They're just not um, in front of us right now, quote unquote, in our in our nation. Um, but there is one coming up um, in 2023, I believe. Uh, and again, you have to excuse me. It's late in the day <laughs> if I'm wrong. But I know that it's going to go it's right through Texas. I know my sister lives in Texas. So I know that um, I will be with her. Uh, during that next eclipse, because it's supposed to be, you know, several minutes long. It should be pretty amazing. Oh, man, I got to make sure I get some glasses. And I think it's important what you just said, because you just educated me. You took me to school. Eclipses happen all the time. So there's activity going on in space. Um, that, you know, we read up on or we may see some stuff. But according to Eddie, there are eclipses all the time. We just can't see it with the human eye down here. Um, and I'm so 
fortunate to be the one to share from this podcast that Eddie, as a part of that um, heat program, um, has been <laughs> Don, the new diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, lead for his division. Thank so you. first of all, Eddie, Thank congratulations. <laughs> um, that is huge. What does this mean for you, for NASA, and um, for what those it means, that you serve? Which again, and it has been an amazing ride. It's, it's, it's pretty new just for the past couple of weeks, but I'm getting to meet with other uh, folks that are leads or invested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I've also worked with, uh, in meetings with the Department of Transportation, with uh, Edison, with um, Facebook, uh, with various other groups and we're all, we haven't officially come up with a consortium yet, but we're, but we're in talks to do that. So we can all talk about what is it that we're doing to try and improve and make things better. So one of the things, the messages that I give to interns to go back to that for a second is, what do you do if you get an internship? Well, you might have been trying to get an internship for quite some time, but wherever that internship is, you want to make sure that you feel safe, that there is diversity, equity, and inclusion there. For example, when I got that detailee, and I'll go back to that, in, um, in NASA headquarters, the first thing I did was this, and it was wrong. They said, oh, well, we're going to pay for your housing while you're out there. Amazing. So I went online. I found one of the best apartments I could possibly find within, uh, you know, within a budget. And sight unseen, I signed up for it. This is where I want to live, right? And it was uh, close to the Pentagon in D.C. Mm -hmm. But when I got there, mm -hmm. I realized that it was not close to the metro. It was not close to a store. It was not close to anything. It was not even close to anybody <laughs> with the person... Of, of my color, right? I was the only brown skin in that apartment building and it was very uncomfortable at times. If I did it right, and when I did it, uh, when I went for my fellowship in 2014, I did do it right. I wanted to make sure that I was in a neighborhood that I felt comfortable in, that was close proximity to the Metro, close to a store, close to things that I might need. And further, if I was an intern and I was going to a NASA center, I would look to see what kind of affinity groups do they have or ERGs, uh, employee resource groups. Is there one for Latinx? Is there one for Native Americans? Is there one for African Americans? And how do they view that? I wanna make sure that when I get there that I'm gonna feel comfortable and safe. Is there a place of worship near me? All of these things that may matter to somebody, you wanna make sure that you have all of those things. And if you don't, then maybe you don't take that internship and you wait for the next one. Wow, that's so true. And, you know, with everything that's been happening in the world, uh, especially to kids from Parkland uh, to, to to recent things that have, have happened in the news, it's yes. so important that they feel safe. And, and, it's, and it's, um, it's a testament to how NASA and you care for those kids and make them feel happy, make them feel safe. And to go a step beyond the DEIA, um, you are what I consider to be what, what I do, but not at your level, um, you are a transformational <laughs> belonging consultant. And, and someone was like, well, what, what is that? <laughs> right. And so I had to knock down, okay, diversity buzzword. This is what, you know, each of that means. But at the end of the day, when you add all that stuff together, 
Do yes. you feel like you belong there? And 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 so Eddie just gave you guys some tools, even the adults who are listening in whatever fields you are in, when you're thinking about leading something that you're searching for diversity, um, at the end of the day, you can have one kid of color, you can have one Asian student, you can have uh, someone that's Native American, you can have someone that's from Africa, you, you can pull from everywhere and have one and on a flyer and everybody else is, is not of color and that's diversity. Um, and I have a whole pencil theory that I'm going to share with Eddie later uh, on, on how you can measure if you're really, really, really diverse, really, really equitable, really, really inclusive and really, really um, making sure that they belong. And so Eddie has helped you with everything. He's opened doors for you and your children and even adults that might be thinking I want to go work at NASA, um, how to get in the door. And then once you're in or as you're getting in, how to set yourself up so that you are living in a space that you can call home and it feel like home um, to you because you can work at a very high end corporate job and be maybe miserable at that job because you're the only one and go back to your swanky apartment. And we're not saying not, not live nicely if you can afford it, but go back to your apartment and still not feel at home. So now you gotta go find, as Eddie said, affinity groups. Um, do they exist um, at that workplace? And if they don't, maybe you're the person to create one or to at least to, to, to suggest it. Um, so Eddie, you are going on a tour and um, that tour is with someone that I, I, am just blown away. I, I, I saw you with him during the media and to know that you're going to go visit a thousand schools with him, Jose, and God knows who else you have going on, going on this tour with you. You said something during that Stamedia summit that I had to quote and it is the streets will get you if you don't. If students, if you don't make a plan for your life, the streets will get you. Can you help them understand what that means? Because you have an incredible gift. You are a bridge builder. That means you're fluid. You're welcome. I've watched you. You're fluid. You have the ability. And I didn't even know this story until you told it on the podcast that you're fluid, you're able to move in any room on any given day and merge two unlikely people together with the outcome of uniting through science and, and just the human connection. Um, how many bridges do you think you would have built by the time you're 80? And can you explain to kids and anyone who's listening, but especially the kids, what you mean by, the, they've heard your story. Um, about making a plan, and if and if they don't, That's the streets correct. are going to so, make so that plan for them. Here it is: is you make a plan, and whatever your plan is, you stick to it. And as you're walking, if you can picture an arrow right now, and that arrow is going up to success, that doesn't exist. The arrow is going to be filled with turns and, and circles and and U-turns and just all of these different things, right? And a storm is going to come, but it's going to end 
and then you continue your path, right? Because you have a plan and you're going to stick to that plan. And you might get bumped off sideways, but you come back and you continue your journey. If it takes 12 years to get to where you need to go, if it takes longer, that's okay, as long as you have a plan. Now, if you don't have a plan, the street will make one for you and you're not going to like it. You might end up doing something practical and that's okay, but it might not be what you want and it's not your plan, it's not your dream. So now you find yourself waking up in the morning thinking, I don't wanna go to work. I don't wanna do this. I don't like who I'm working for. I don't like my team because that's not the plan that you had for yourself. So again, as I say, if you have a plan, stick to it. And if you don't make one, somebody's going to make one for you and you're not going to like it. And, and Eddie is proof of that, how you can bounce back if you, if you get your mind right. And I believe wholeheartedly that this tour permission to permission to dream collaborating with Christopher Gardner, as you guys heard in the, in the, in the uh, introduction, um, yes. the original Mr. Pursuit of Happiness. Um, to present inspirational talks at 1,000 high schools across the United States. I believe that that program is your propulsion to help the kids propel up. Um, is there anything without giving it all away, because you don't want to steal your own thunder, that you can tell us that they can look forward to on this tour with this incredible person that Will Smith portrayed so wonderfully in the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. How did you meet him? Uh, how did you guys become friends? And where did this permission to dream uh, tour idea question. come from? Um, one of the things that I've always, you know, said to myself, that if I wanted to meet somebody, that there was usually six degrees of separation to meet someone. And when I saw that movie, it changed my life and it changed the way that I thought. And I thought, okay, I've had my struggles, but this man right here, he struggled big time. And I want to hear what he does with this 1,440 minutes a day. What does he do in his seven days a week? What does he read? What does he eat? What does he think? And the only way that I could do that is if I could, actually develop a relationship with him. So how does one do that? I don't have a magic wand, but I know that I have a good character and that I'm very respectful. There's a fine line between being obnoxious and um, a bothersome, if you will, and being respectful. So I had tried to meet him a couple of times at some of the talks that he had given and it just was impossible. They would set out mics, you could ask a question, and then he and his entourage would take off. But I knew he was giving a talk in Atlanta, and this was several years ago. And I was in D.C. at the time, and I knew I was flying back to L.A. the day of this talk. So what I did is I worked with my travel agent, and I said, I want to get at least a six to eight hour layover in Atlanta. And he said, why would you want to do that? I said, I have my reasons. So he was able to do that for me. So when I got to Atlanta, I immediately went to the Hilton uh, Airport uh, Hotel where he was giving his talk. Now, I always keep NASA pins with me, very important, right? So I went into the ballroom and I'm listening to him talking, the same setup is there and I'm thinking, okay, what could I possibly say 
to get him to turn around and have a conversation with me. It's not going to happen here. So I left the ballroom and went to the side and I noticed security was by this one door. And I thought, I bet you that's where he's going to exit. So I went up to the security guards and said, hey, my name is Eddie Gonzalez. I work for NASA. And I told them a little bit about what I do. And unfortunately, they were uh, people of color, just like me. And I proceeded to give them some NASA pins and talk about how great the Atlanta Falcons are, how great the Atlanta Hawks are, right? I, I am not a Hawk fan. I'm a Laker fan. Right. And I'm not a Falcon fan. I'm a Raider fan. But I got their attention, <laughs> right? So after having this amazing conversation, I just got to go, so uh, do you think Chris will be coming through here? And did he bring his entourage with him? And they said, uh, no, he's by himself. Oh, great. Do you mind if I wait here? No, nah, no, nah, you can you can wait here for him. Perfect. It was set up. And now it was up to me to make it happen. So when he walked out, if you remember at the end of the movie, Will Smith is walking with his son across a crosswalk and you see this guy walking across. That's the real Chris Gardner. That was his cameo in the movie. So I said to him, there was this good looking fellow that was in the movie at the end, but his suit didn't quite fit him right. Who was that? And he turned around and he started laughing and he said, who are you? And I said, I'm Eddie Gonzalez. I work for NASA. He said, you work for NASA? And I said, yes. And he said, man, I've been trying to get in touch with somebody from NASA to do something with them. Can I get your card? Oh my goodness, it was the greatest day of my life. Yes, it gets better, it gets better. Are you so I gave him my card, he right gave me now. his, and I'm looking at this card and I'm thinking, this is the greatest day of my life, right? So he said, Eddie, I got a flight to catch. He said, but I'm gonna call you. 20 minutes later, he sends me a message. It was such a pleasure to run into you. We're gonna be in touch. So now I get in a taxi. This was before Uber and Lyft. I go to the airport. I travel a lot. I got bumped off to first class 1A. I'll never forget this. So I'm sitting down and I tell the flight attendant, I don't need anything. I don't need any drink. I don't need any food. I'm just going to sit here with my beats on my head and listen to music. I'm happy, right? And about 10 minutes later, before the flight takes off, right. I feel a tap on my shoulder and I look and it's Christopher Gardner sitting in 1B. Yes. No way. That is the universe. No the universe way. is conscious, right? That what? Tell me about right? it. It wasn't even so whispering, it was screaming. Hours, oh my gosh. His ear. And we talked about all kinds of things. Just our family and all of these things. And I learned from him too that in the movie, um, his son was about five years old, but his son was actually 12 months old. There was diapers involved in formula. It was a lot crazier than the movie uh, you know, shown. Yes, and a lot of people don't know that. What? Yeah, so I mean, he had a stroller he was pushing. That. He had to put plastic over the stroller because it rains a lot in San Francisco. I mean, it was all that. But. Oh my gosh. You know, it, it seems like you guys are like soul brothers when you listen to your stories. No, really. Yeah, so now we're friends. And, and so and now you're He friends became my mentor. Doing... Now, again, as far as mentors you're... is concerned, now he's not my only mentor. I think that when you look, when you're looking for mentors, you should have a professional mentor, maybe a relationship mentor, you know, a, a mentor that just listens, another mentor that gives you advice. You know, you should have a council of mentors. But for Chris, he would call me like at four in the morning and say, what are you doing? I'm sleeping. And he's like, I need you to check your email. And then I want you to call me. We're going to talk about it. 
that's the relationship I have with him. Man, that is so powerful. And I think one of the things that you just said about this, this beautiful story now going permission to dream on tour is that you need a council of mentors and you guys, Eddie is not 18. Okay. Eddie is a grown man with a family and he still has a mentor Yes, or two or three or four. (laughs) I have mentors. It does not end. Um, do you feel Eddie that that mentorship should no, end in fact, when we what you need to 30, do is 40, as you get 50? older, you need to mentor down. And what I mean by that is I have mentors that are fresh out, you know, and some of them are my mentees and they mentor me as well because they keep me connected with what's going on. You know, I'm OG, I'm old school, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that I have all the answers because there's a different way of doing things. You know, would we'll take music for example. I'm just being honest, and I know a lot of listeners are going to get upset about this, but I'm not familiar with like Little Yachty and some of these other rappers that are out there. I'm Tupac and Biggie and Nas all day. That's me, right? Listen, <laughs> if they're upset with you, they're upset with See, me but that's because what I'm saying. we're in the same you know, category. I don't, okay. I don't understand that. You know, This little dance that everybody does, I don't get it, but it's a thing, and if it's a thing and it's important to our next generation of leaders, then it's got to be important to me too. So I need to at least take a look at it and try to understand it. And if I didn't have a mentor that is fresh out or younger than me, I would have no idea what's going on. It would be this big confusion in my head, but it keeps me relevant. That is so true. And I'm grateful for, for, for the mentor down group that I have. And I know sometimes I probably get on their nerves because I'm like, wait, what's the app that does this? Alejandra, how do I do that? Um, Because I don't know. I honestly don't know. And I, I think it's so beautiful that you said that Eddie, because, you know, in a church background, um, and I know that there are a lot of Christians out there that are celebrating Easter or have celebrated Easter and um, they, they put a lot out. And I've been saying this for years, man. And there's a story in the Bible about Saul and David and how Saul was king and David was just a little shepherd boy. And yet David was slated to be the next king. And I, I sometimes I cringe because I see people our age who, for whatever reason, um, and I'm no psychologist, but for whatever reason, they have this need for continued relevance, which we all have that intrinsic need, but it's almost like, okay, at this point, you need to kind of get out of these kids' way. Um, You know, get out of the way, let them teach you um, some stuff because to have your foot on a kid's neck that is smarter than you, um, that is clearly tapped to be great and you just want to stay great and you're 85, true, um, true that. that doesn't work. 
Um, so and I said, right, and I'm sorry, and and there's a lot of the music, you know, like you said, that they listen to, and I'm like, okay, what did they just say? Um, and you know, I might have made a fool out of myself on Instagram <laughs> when the Kiki challenge came out, but you know, I did it, and 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 my former student, who's now 32, said, <laughs> "You are crazy, but you did it right." you know? And so I, I appreciated that. So, um, Eddie's not, cause, cause I've heard him, he's not going to tell us what's going to happen on the permission to dream tour. You're going to have to sign up for it whenever they put that out. Okay. And, um, I have some zingers for you, Eddie. If you could go anywhere oh, in the uh, world earth. today, Absolutely would it earth. be on earth or in space? My, fa my favorite planet. Why is it that every, Earth. Okay. Why is it that I I have yet to speak with someone at NASA that's not an astronaut because I don't know any astronauts. Um, that everyone <laughs> that I've talked to that works at NASA is like we like Earth. <laughs> okay. Have you ever eaten space? Yes, food? I have. And if so and is it like it an is MRE? A lot like an MRE. Um, it's not the tastiest thing in the world. Uh, they do have this um, uh, ice cream that's. Uh, I don't know, dehydrated or something that's fairly tasty. But uh, yeah, I think that um, uh, there could be some improvements in that area. <laughs> okay. How often do you get to interact um, with the astronauts and what's that like? And I don't, and I mean, like, when I say how often do you get to interact with them, I mean, how often do you get uh, to just chill out? Okay, so Not Jose, work, just chill. Besides um, Jose. Well, because of the pandemic, we haven't got to hang out or anything, but um, whenever he's in DC, um, we'd get together, we'd go to a restaurant, he'd come to my house. And, you know, this is a great story. And, and I, I can tell you, this absolutely gave me cred, right? My youngest, uh, I hate to call him stepson, I call him my bonus son. Um, he's all into acting. Yeah, he's all into astronauts. That's and he's right. read Leland Melvin's That's what book. He is. And he's also read her, Jose Hernandez's book. So he didn't know that I knew them. So for Liam's birthday, Leland actually came over and I said, uh, Liam, there's somebody at the door for you. And he opened the door and there's Leland Melvin. And he's like, <laughs> how do you, you, how? And, and I wasn't uh, married to his mom yet. <laughs> You know, but that gave him absolute street cred. And then later on, Jose actually called and did a video chat with him to say, hey, you know what? This is a really good guy, you know, just so you know. And that gave me a lot of credibility oh, uh, from him uh, in acceptance, if you will. And we had a relationship, by the way. Uh, so, again, there might be oh, some my. events that happen, again, pre-pandemic, where uh, Leland might be asked to speak or something, and we might get together and go to lunch or something like that. And if Jose's invited, the same. Um, but that's about my interaction with astronauts. That's so cool. Okay, next one. You're headed to Mars with all of these women that are going. <laughs> and you Ooh, can only take uh, one thing. I would day. take my wife with What me. is it? That'd be the one thing. Oh, get it, Eddie. You just won a prize. Okay. Um, last question, and this is sort of a zinger, sort of not. Are you open to mentoring others, students, adults, etc., 
outside of NASA's programming, <laughs> or would that be considered moonlighting? Get it? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, again, what I say, and I talk to my mentees, and I tell them this, okay, if, and I do mentor students that are outside the aerospace industry, just for the record. Um, I'm not on commission. It's not part of my day-to-day -day work. I do this um, when I can and when I have the bandwidth. So what I'll ask of a, a mentee or potential mentee is send me a meeting request to make sure that you can get on my calendar. And this is so important because some mentees recently have been doing this. They'll send me a Zoom link with the date and time, but it's not the meeting request that I need. It's the yes, no, or maybe that I select yes, and it populates my calendar. So I need that. But I also need them to understand that because of the nature of what I do, I might have to cancel and we might have to reschedule. And then also to have an agenda. So if you can send that to me in advance to say, I'd like to talk to you about my resume. I'd like to talk to you about interview skills. I'd like to talk to you about networking to give me something that I know we're going to discuss. And finally, if our meeting is set up for 15 minutes, that's it. It can't go any longer than that. And then we can reschedule or come up with another time later. But I'm absolutely open to mentoring anybody that needs it as long as they understand my lack of flexibility sometimes. No, and, and I and I, I I honor you for that because Eddie, you're busy. Yes. And to and, and you do that for free. Um not a lot of uh, free mentors out there at your level. So I honor you for that. And, and I, and I hope that, and no, I know that they will, and I hope that they will respect, um, that. And it also helps them learn boundaries as well. Um, and what their personal bandwidth is as they move forward, um, in their career endeavors and also in school. And my last question, I've been waiting on this one. We have been told that when Mercury goes into retrograde, that it affects communication and other things here that happen on Earth, which is <laughs> astrology, not astronomy. Eddie, is it true, based on your professional opinion, that Mercury going into retrograde does indeed affect communication and all of the things that are out there that says, uh-oh, right. Mercury's <laughs> in retrograde. Okay, so let me say this. Science does not lie. It's on. So that's, that's my answer. But now let me continue. So nothing happens when a planet goes into retrograde. Okay, retrograde to an astrologer is when Earth passes or is being passed by another planet. Retrograde motion of planets farther from the sun than Earth is when they appear to reverse direction and appear to make a loop in the sky over a period of weeks when Earth passes them in it more rapid orbit, right? Okay, so the simple fact is that astronomy can be verified by observation and makes no linkage between humanity and planetary positions. Whereas astrology makes claims that planetary positions do affect human behavior and personal characteristics without any variable and repeatable supporting evidence. Hence the word science doesn't lie.
I love it. Thank you so much, Eddie. Because I know some thought leaders that plan their entire well, let me, calendars let me around this when that you said goes that. into retrograde. You know, Mercury's over it, period. Um, it's only 88 days. So it passes Earth an average of about three times every year. That's a lot of hard-to-hide recharging sabbaticals for people, you know? <laughs> right exactly exactly i love it and no you're right science doesn't lie at all um and the data is out there and i'm so glad you answered that question because that was that was that between that and the venus star point and i was like huh wait a minute um you know and and i know now now this i can say um full moons i don't know how don't know why but there are a couple people in my family that full moons absolutely do affect because I know that moon has an effect on the water, on oceans. I don't know if it's because they go fishing. I don't know what it is, but they get really moody. They get really just, they can't sleep. It's been like that since I was a kid and you know, they're in their eighties now. And I'm just like, Unk, you know, Theo, like calm down. So um, I think that um, that's a psycho um, also, somatic you know, uh, like, for response. Example, like a day um, like I won't today. go that deep. I, I live in but... D.C. and it's raining. It's kind of dreary looking. It's dark. And as I look outside and I'm trying not to look outside too much, to be honest with you, it does change my personality or my drive for the day. And I have to fight that sometimes. So for somebody that does look up at the planets, especially our elders, uh, the planets are everything to them. You know, um, astronomy is everything. And sometimes it, I can see how that can affect a mood like a stormy, rainy, wintry day, you know. So I can see that. But I think it's how we react to it is the most important thing. And that's, and that's key, how we react and how we respond. And if you know that you're affected by seasonal affective, uh, it's sad, it's called like seasonal affective disorder, where when it's, if you're a sun person, um, which a lot of us who are minorities are, if you're a sun person and you like to be outside in the sun, you like when it's nice weather, um, or you're used to California, um, where it never rains, and that's not true. Um, but if if you're used to that, and you know that it's gonna, you look at your weather app, and you say, okay, or, or the television is, and it says, you know, we're gonna have a, some really stormy days here, and not much sun out that you can see or feel, um, just kind of reviving you then uh, try and make some some adjustments, as Eddie said, and, and it's about how you react to it. Um, Eddie, I could talk to you all night, all day for a whole week. So I'm going to sign up on that yes, no mentor form myself. Um, thank you so much. You've given us so much to learn from and you've helped so many listeners around the world and people from other countries want to work at NASA or have some sort of interaction with someone at NASA. So I appreciate you. And I know that all of our listeners do. I thank you for being the closer um, on season three of beyond the easy 
Um, that's huge for me, man. And it's huge for a lot of us here, the team, um, everyone that supports us, and then all of the listeners that write us. Um, so we wish you well. I cannot wait. You guys, make sure you follow Eddie on all social media. He is not just sitting in a cubicle at NASA, staring at planets rolling around the computer all day. He's actually a very kind and interactive person who um, is very positive, very honest, very truthful. He's not going to sugarcoat stuff. And he shares science stuff on his Instagram page and just follow him, pay attention to him. Um, and just, you know, respectfully, not, not crowded space, but everything about him is listed um, in all of the channels. Um, so you guys can learn more about Eddie and, and his adventures. So Eddie, thank you so much. Um, get you something to eat. And enjoy your lovely wife and, and your bonus son. Thank and you. I'm uh, so we humbled look to be forward on the show to and to be the closer. You Thank you so next. much. It's been such a pleasure. And for everybody that's listening, you know, make mm-hmm. a plan, follow your plan to the end, and I'll see you at the other side. Thank you.